There's a man named E. Lee who grew up in the 40s and 50s. Uh, of Chinese descent, grew up in Iowa, and uh, describes himself as a man, a boy growing up in that area, as being uh, uh, culturally confused uh, during that season. Um, he said he came out of the womb uh, with one goal in mind for the rest of his life, and that was to become rich and to become successful. That was his driving purpose in life. He uh, ended up getting married and served with the U.S. military uh, on the border of Germany at a missile site, uh, watching uh, during the Cold War uh, to see what might happen um, with uh, our enemy at the time on the Eastern Front there. Um, during that time, he, he describes always being, all of his life really, he describes himself as being a sucker for love. Always looking to find a place of connection with people and a place where he himself felt that he belonged. And so uh, he was lonely, even in his marriage, a difficult time finding friends. And there was a couple there uh, where he lived who befriended him and his wife and began to bring them into their home for dinner and share meals with them and really befriended them, took a real interest in them. And over time, he began to ask questions like, you guys really seem different than a lot of the other people that we know. And uh, what is it about you? And they said, well, it's, we think it's because we have for ourselves a personal relationship with Christ. And that really makes a difference in the way that we interact with people and love on people. And uh, he went through his own time of soul searching and uh, came through to a point where he uh, began to realize that uh, what he needed most in his life was not uh, success and it was not riches, but it was a personal relationship with Christ. He would examine his life and say, I don't really know how to do life. I don't know how to interact with life or with other people properly. And he found himself in this really profound encounter with Jesus. And he says a lot of Christians describe... Uh, that they found Christ. He said, for me, it was more like uh, Jesus had found me. And now I knew what it really was to belong to God and to his people. I was a new creature. Sometime later, he would end up um, fulfilling his early dream and uh, ended up for years as an executive on Wall Street and various investment groups and uh, made a fortune. And it reconfirmed to him that, that his early dream was not what would satisfy his life. He said that, that in every life he believes there's a God-sized hole. And no matter what we try to fill that hole with, success or riches, it never ultimately satisfies, satisfies a life. And so we talked about that last year, or last week, that materialism is not what can deeply satisfy a life. And so what uh, Eli would tell us is that to have a settled sense of purpose and direction, it comes through recognition. And that recognition is that God is life's greatest treasure. A personal relationship with God is life's greatest treasure. And what the scripture tells us, not exactly in these words, but it says this, that God's greatest treasure is your heart. What is God's greatest treasure is to be in a relationship with you, a relationship of love and trust that's reflected in your obedience and your desire to honor Him. 
In our passage that we're going to look at today, open your Bibles with you to Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, is that I hope that we leave here with some thought about how we might measure what I treasure. I want to encourage you today to leave here measuring what you treasure. And we begin by looking at Matthew chapter 6. I realize Chris preached on this passage just a couple of weeks ago. We're going to start here and go to a couple of other places and uh, hear what God has to say. In Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, this is what Jesus has to say about money. We listened last week to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and, and if Solomon indeed wrote that book, we, we listened to the wisdom of Solomon, a man who perhaps was wealthier than any other person on the planet ever in history, perhaps, and what he had to say, and how life built around the accumulation of wealth, and if that is your primary purpose for living your life, that it will never ultimately lead to satisfaction. Let's hear what Jesus has to say about wealth and money and the focus of our lives. He says, verse 19, chapter 6, Matthew, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That is such a great phrase, it's worth hearing again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Living God, we pray this morning that you would open our ears and soften our hearts and prepare us to hear and to act upon your leading in our lives. We pray it now in faith, trust, and obedience in the name of Jesus. Together we ask it. Amen. God knows the degree to which we treasure money is the degree to which... God has captured your heart. The degree to which you treasure money is the degree to which God has treasured your heart. Where your treasure is, there will you also find your heart. In other words, what you most value is what you will inevitably pursue. What you inevitably pursue is what you really most value. Don't tell me, don't tell other people what is most valuable to you, because your life is showing it in the choices that you make, the places you go, the way you interact with others, what you value most, it will be what you inevitably pursue the most, because it calls to you. What you allow to be your value, it calls to you. It's like a magnet or gravity. If I drop the ball on the ground, we know it doesn't go up, it goes down because the force of gravity calls it toward itself. And so what you value most in your life, your life is inevitably drawn 
to that because you place value there and that is where your heart is. It's where your heart longs to be. And what Jesus is saying is that if your eyes, if what you're focused on in your life is not the right thing, then how terribly wrong are you? How terribly wrong-oriented are you in your life? And it is so important that we take time in our lives over the course of a year to evaluate what has taken root in our lives, what is being allowed to be the place of greatest value for me. Because what I value, I will pursue. It calls to me, and it pulls me toward it. What you value will receive the majority of your energy, doesn't it? What you really value most will receive your intellectual energy and your emotional energy. And it's what you'll give your time to inevitably. It's what you give your resources to. What you value most comes out of your life because it's like a magnet pulling coins right out of your pocket. So we must measure what we treasure because you pursue what you value. We must measure... Are the things that I value enduring, or are they temporary? Do the things that I value most and give my energy and my attention and my resources toward, are they temporary, or are they enduring? Are they really significant? These are great questions to ask periodically in your life, because God wants to shift our focus from temporal stuff of this world to the eternal stuff that will last beyond this physical life. Do you focus on status symbols? The things of Wren County? It's not quite in your face, but I need just enough perhaps to communicate just how successful I've been. Isn't that the world we live in? I have to have the right brands and uh, make sure somehow there are signals that people know what we have. Do I crave the compliments and praise of other people more than I delight in the pleasure of God and His opinion over me? Am I focused more on building my own personal wealth, but missing out on building and participating in the building of God's kingdom? The eye is the lamp of the body. And if what you focus on is the wrong thing, then your life is going in the wrong direction. So how can you measure your treasure? Ken, I'm glad you asked that question. How can you measure your treasure? I want to give you a couple of of ideas. All of this is in the book of Matthew. If you're taking notes, maybe just jot down the uh, references I give you. Go back and read them and and meditate on them this week. And ask the Lord to reveal to your heart what He wants you to hear in these messages and in these passages. Because I want to offer you two measures for your treasure. One uh, is is, uh, what I call very creatively the rich young guy measure. Okay? The rich young guy measure. It's found in Matthew chapter 19. The rich young guy measure, it measures how important wealth is to you in comparison to God and God's kingdom. The rich young guy measure, it measures how important, how important wealth is to you in comparison to God and His kingdom. When I was about, I don't know, 13 years old, I, uh, my mother took me to the store because I needed some new pants. And uh, I had a couple of choices. I could have gotten a pair of pants that would have lasted a while. They would have been pretty fashionable. They would have endured over time. 
Uh, but my eye caught parachute pants. Do you remember what parachute pants are? Yeah. If you, if you lived in the 80s or endured the 80s, you know maybe what parachute pants are. They're, let me tell you, this body was not made for parachute pants. We'll just start there. Parachute pants are a little snug, at least on me. Parachute pants are of a certain material. And think Michael Jackson, and you might begin to get a, a sense of what parachute pants are. They had zippers all over them. I don't know why they're called parachute pants, but as a, I don't know, 12 or 13 year old, it just sounded really cool. And so, of course, I didn't, I didn't choose the pair of pants that would have had some lasting value. Of course not. I chose the parachute pants. And I wore my parachute pants to school one day. And one day only. Because disaster struck. After school, I was on my way home, and I was walking a different path. There was a little drive-in, and for some reason, I had a couple of bucks in my pocket. That was a rarity. And so I stopped at the drive-in, and as I pulled my money out, my money fell on the ground, and I bent over to pick it up. Why are you guys moaning? Yeah, you're laughing. You're right. They, They ripped, and they were ruined. My parachute pants were... I was sad. Thank you. Thank you for commiserating with me. But I learned a good lesson that it was really better to focus on something better than just something that was so short-lived. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 19 to a man who was wealthy, he was young. I think this man was looking out at however he got his wealth, that he was looking out over the course of his life to come and probably dreaming about what his resources would provide him. Maybe entrusting his future to these resources. And they were significant. But this man comes to Jesus in Matthew 19 and he says, Good teacher, what good thing must I do in order to inherit eternal life? He was looking to Jesus and partly had the question right. He was looking at Jesus knowing that Jesus had the key to forever life. And Jesus begins to talk to him, and part of that conversation says, well, how about these commandments? Are you, have you been keeping these? He's, he's like, oh, yeah. I've nailed those, Jesus, since I was a little kid. I got that down, no problem. And Jesus looks at him, and I just, I don't know what Jesus, what his expressions were, but I would imagine there was great tenderness in his eyes. And he'd say, one thing that you lack, go and sell all your possessions, give them to the poor, and then come and follow me. Take all of your possessions and sell them, give them to the poor, and come follow me. There was a decision for him to be made. It was a decision on what was going to be the most valuable centerpiece of his life. Where did his heart really lie? What was he valuing the most? And would he allow his future and his trust to be in his resources, or would he choose to follow Jesus? And he walks away sad. And every time I read this passage, I don't know if I'm just hoping that the the result of the story will somehow change. But it's always the same. And I always leave so disappointed at the decision that he makes. It says that he was young and he walks away sad because he had great wealth. And something prevented him from seeing the great value of a relationship with Jesus and how much better it was than trusting 
in these temporary things. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, he would remind those who are who are pestered by worry about the things of life. He says at the end of those, he describes how well God takes care of his people and how well he cares for his children and provides for them. And he says, seek first God's kingdom, and then these other things will find a proper place and order in your life. But this rich, young guy did not get there because he didn't believe that life with God was better than life pursuing and securing his wealth. There's a different parable. Also in Matthew, it describes how uh, a different way of understanding a compelling vision of God. And it describes it this way. It's a parable. It, it describes a man who, who comes along a, a certain treasure in a field, and, and he covers up that treasure, and he goes home. And he gathers up everything he has, and he cashes it all in so that he can go back to buy this field. Because whatever the treasure was in that field, he understood and recognized how much more valuable it was than anything else the world could offer him. And so he cashes everything else in in order to get that field. Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of God is like. When you begin to envision and understand that life with God is your greatest treasure, and God's greatest treasure is having your whole heart. Your whole heart. Not with a hand in your pocket clutching something and saying, here you are, Jesus, here's my life. No. It's like this. This, God, this is my life. You've given everything for me. And I return out of gratitude everything back to you. And it impacts how we relate to our family. It impacts how we relate to money. When our whole heart and our whole life is given over to Jesus, it impacts the way we interact with our work. I've shared the story with you, but you know, there's significant moments in your life that get singed. Not just in your brain, but really get impressed in your heart and, and get shaped to how you view the world. And my, my best friend, I was 17 years old, and his dad uh, was a lawyer and was a long-time, multi-year state senator. And I shared the story how he went through his what he didn't realize would be his last campaign, and he lost this election. And I think he sat in his seat for like 20-some years up to that point, and it was really surprising. And I remember being in his house the day after the election was announced, and I didn't know what to say to him. It's my best friend's dad, and I said, Norman, I said, I'm sorry. And as soon as he said, he said, Bryce, that's how he talked. Bryce, it's okay. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. They turned out and walked off. That was a life lesson that I carried with me to this day. How old am I? I don't know, 30 some years or so later. Because I realized that when things come to my life, I learned from Norman, when things come to my life that I don't want, that I didn't expect, it's not what I prayed for. I expected something else. I wanted something else. I thought I deserved something else. But this is where I am instead of there. But this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Why? Because that job is not my treasure. 
That promotion is not my treasure. That bonus is not my treasure. God is my treasure. And this is the day He has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. I better move on. <laughs> Second final measure is the faithful steward measure. And we need to read this passage. It's in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus has been on a long, uh, the way Matthew's recording, a long conversation about the end times and what, what's going to happen at the end and what's it going to look like and how will we know. And he's, he's talking, he picks up another picture of what the end will be like. And here's what he says. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received the five talents went at once. You hear the eagerness? He went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents, he gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said. You entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what you what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gathered where I have not scattered seed. I think there's a hint of sarcasm there. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents, for everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We learn, at least in part from this passage, that God gives you the ability to effectively steward his resources. God entrusts according to our ability and gives us that ability to steward those resources and uh, He wants us to do well with them. He wants you to be responsible with the things He entrusts to you. This is a, a parable, if nothing else. It's a story about accountability and how important accountability is in a relationship and not just giving God the, the last things. It's about giving God the first things. It's about giving God the first priority of your life. 
There was a woman years ago who um, once called the Butterball Turkey Company. They actually had a hotline if you had questions about cooking your turkey. And she calls them up and she says, I've got a turkey here that I've had for 23 years. She wanted some advice. <laughs> How would you like to be on the other end of that call? And the person, this is a story Paul Harvey shared several years ago. The person on the other end says, well, I guess if your freezer's set at at least zero degrees, then maybe it's okay. But I think at this point, the taste will maybe have faded. And who knows if it's really going to be all that healthy. And, and the person uh, who had the turkey, she said, well, it's okay. I'll just give it to the church. <laughs>
doesn't have the whole. He might have a part. And God doesn't want a part of your heart. He wants your whole heart. Out of love and response to Him. So, here we are in our stewardship season. Thinking about 2020 to come. Did you know next year is our church's 60th anniversary? And uh, God is doing some great things in our church. And I'm so eager to see what He's going to continue to unfold through us. Um, not anticipating the challenges that might be unknown out there, but I do know that those are the way God will grow us at times. But you have in your bulletin, again, a commitment card, and we want to invite you to take this home and to be praying about this, talking to whomever in your home you need to discuss this with. And part of this is about your financial commitment. I know that um, we live in a day when uh, thoughts about giving and supporting ministries is really shifting. And, and we all like to give toward tangible things where we know I've given money and this is the exact result. Uh, but I want to encourage you to think this year about what the value of disciplined giving is to support a church and her ministry is. And the idea, not just because this is a particular project that's captured my heart and I want to give it toward it, but because this is going to be a reflection of my wholehearted devotion to God... And so I want to encourage you to, to pray about and think about the value of disciplined giving over the coming year. Not just because the church needs money, not because God needs the money, but how will it help shape your heart in keeping your value, keeping your understanding of measuring where your treasure lies, what is most valuable to you. And part of the invitation here, at least for me, is in thinking about the value of disciplined giving in an ongoing way over the course of the next calendar year, is that allows me an opportunity to regularly be reminded of what is first in my life and where my, my priorities lie. And so this is not just about money. One half is. The other half is about ways that you might commit your time. You might examine the gifts that God has given you. There might be needs in the church. Maybe you would pray that God might gift you for a season to meet that particular need. And so there are ways here where you might mention how you want to perhaps serve in the coming year and give of yourself. Your whole heart is expressed both in money but also in the way that we spend our time and what we give our energy to. So please take this home and... Uh, Put somewhere where you'll remember to talk about it, maybe in a nightstand, or to pray about it. Put it on your bathroom mirror, and ask God to guide you. Just ask God to give you wisdom. Ask Him to prompt your heart, and examine where your treasure lies. And if, if your energy and money is not somehow visible in ministry then maybe that would be a clue as to where your treasure truly lies. So that's the invitation for you, is to pray and ask God. The Bible talks a lot about money. I really don't have a whole lot of problem talking about it either, uh, because I think it's such a significant um, just gauge for where we are spiritually. What we do with our money is inextricably linked to where our spiritual life is. I believe it always is that way. Always. And so it's just a chance to re reconsider where you are with that. And do it with joy. When you pray, would you pray with a smile? 
pray with a smile about what God would have you do in the coming year. Partner with us here. God, we we do pray for that today as we enter the season of of considering how we will partner with you and partner together to co-operate in your kingdom's work here in the rent, the edges of the earth, as you have called us of guiding us into uh, our vision of where you are at work and how we are going to be able to join you. And so guide us in that. As individuals, may we may we just take an accounting of our, our whole life, not just our, our financials, but our whole life. May this be a season of, of rejoicing where we have seen you at work, of how you have equipped us, of the resources you have provided to us, maybe financial, maybe other kinds of spiritual gifts, maybe an abundance of time that can be shared in particular ways with the church or another ministry, whatever it is. We just ask God that you would speak to us and that your spirit would, would prompt us and guide us in our evaluation. And so, as we come in a few Sundays and, and we bring these commitment cards, may they be tools in the hands of our stewardship committee to help determine a, a good, appropriate budget for the next year. So we need your leadership, Lord, so that we as a church can follow as you would guide us. So guide us. We ask you. We want it. Help us not just to ask for it, but not really want it. We want it. We want it. So lead us, we pray. In Jesus' name. Together. Amen. Amen. Amen.